Friday morning, and uh, it's a great time to just open up the phone lines and have a chat. one 332 8255 We've had a great week. We have discussed, you name it. <laughs> I feel like we've we've touched on it. Certainly, uh, education, harm reduction, health care, cost of living. We even talked a bit about the uh, MAID expansion Emergencies Act ruled unconstitutional. All of these and more are fair game. Whatever you want to talk about, one 332 8255 So the teacher strike, of course, we saw the second full-day strike happening on Monday of this week. And we had Saskatchewan Teachers Federation President Samantha Beacott joining us on Monday the teachers took to the picket line for their second one-day strike in the middle of negotiations not going so well between the STF and the government. And as you heard Samantha Beacott say on Monday, they are willing to bargain, but they feel as though the government isn't. We have been trying to get the issues around class size and class complexity addressed, uh, and we haven't engaged, or government hasn't engaged with us, uh, around any of the other proposals that we have brought forward. They continue to say no on every single item, uh, and that's not what negotiations should look like. So I'd be happy to have the conversations with the bargaining teams at the table, um, but but we need both sides willing to, to have a conversation. So the question is, do you think that the province and the teachers should include classroom complexity in the collective agreement that they bargain? One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. I don't think it belongs there. There's number one. I support the teachers. I am. I've made no bones about that. I support the teachers. I think they do an incredible job. They have a tough job. Classroom complexity is an issue. No doubt about it. We're seeing the need for more supports. We're. We're. It is. It is night and day teaching today as opposed to what it was five years ago, ten years ago, let alone a generation ago. There are there are differences. And you just need to wander into a school, spend some time in a classroom, and you'll see it. But that said, I don't think the collective agreement is the way to address it. Number one, you're you're trying to bargain new staff that aren't going to be part of your union. A lot of those teacher assistants, um, whether they're you know speech pathologists, whatever, working with those children in the classroom that have complex needs, they won't be part of the STF. So trying to bargain that into a contract for the STF is tough. And, I, you know, I still say there's an argument that that's the role of the school boards. The school boards need to have an active role in how they're going to generate class size discussions on how they're going to handle classroom complexities. And so on the question, should the province and the teachers include Classroom complexity in the collective agreement they bargain, I say no. I don't think it's in there. What do you think? one 332 8255 Wages, however, absolutely is in there. Wages is 100% in there. I got a text yesterday. I didn't get a chance to uh, to get this on the air, but I was talking about where we're at with teachers' wages. So remember, the province has offered 7% over three years. The teachers are saying they want... 2% a year over four. So two, 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 two plus cost of living. And then there's people speculating what would that, what would that total cost be? Some are saying it could be 23 and a half percent over four years. 
When I asked Samantha Beacott that, she says, well, we don't know because we don't know what the cost of living is going to be. It was 6% last year, 4% this year. That's 10% right there. Add that with those two, 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 and twos. You get to 18. Well, the text that I got yesterday said, and you know, this is a fair point talked about, remember 2% this year plus cost of living compounds next year to be 2% of that new number plus cost of living year three adds 2% to the increased costs already. So that's the compounding effect of how wages it's, you know, we used to refer to it as end lift, right? If you got 2% a year for four years, next year's 2% is built on this year's wage plus the 2% you got. So your end lift doesn't actually equal eight. Your end lift equals eight point whatever, right? I, I don't know. You'd have to do the math on it, but, but it's actually a, a bigger number because each year you're incorporating that new raise. So the 2% that you get in year one of a four-year contract, for example, would be more than it would be at the end. That's pretty standard in collective agreements. That's that's part. Both sides know that going in. But I got the text yesterday, and I thought, you know what? That's that's a fair point to bring out and and throw out there. Back to you. What do you think? Should the province and the teachers include classroom complexity in the collective agreement they bargain? One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Cameron Regina says, I don't think anyone is against the idea of addressing class size and the special and diverse needs of today's students. But as a taxpayer, I certainly object to the teachers asking for what would be a 20 to 25% raise over the next four years. So Cameron, Cameron is, is basically saying, I'm not against addressing class size, but I think the raise is too much. Yet, you know, there are settlements out there in BC. Some different uh, unions are getting four and a half percent for a couple per year for a couple of years those precedents have been set so it's not out of line with with some settlements that are happening especially right now in the cost of living crisis that we're in whether we get there or not on the teacher strike in our province i guess uh, it's yet to be seen 18773328255 Kathy and Regina says of course they shouldn't negotiate class size and make up in their agreement, because it's the only way there will be proper funding put towards it, and they can fix all fix all the things they wrecked when they took away all the helpers in the last ten to fifteen years. So, Kathy, I'm not sure if you're saying I'm not sure where you're throwing blame on that, but you're saying it shouldn't be included. I agree. I don't think it is part of the final collective agreement when the teachers successfully bargain wherever it is they need to get to. one 332 8255 Labor strike and challenges. Linda from Saskatoon texting in and uh, changing the topic a little bit on uh, focusing on mammograms. Said Wednesday, by the way, was very informative. Thank you for the clarification on the mammogram issue. It seems as though there's a bottleneck of some sort as to which system one uses. Great job. You know, since then, we've done some checking. So it's almost 10,000 mammograms less per year in Saskatchewan than what we were able to do just a few years back. And a lot of that has to do with, with access to resources. A lot of that has to do with people that actually will will do the diagnostic testing, right? We have a bit of a resource crisis. I don't know if you've heard. Uh, doesn't matter where you look, we're having problem hiring people, retaining people. And in the healthcare world, that's a big problem. So, I mean, we can veer into healthcare if you'd rather do that as opposed to talking about teachers. 
Phone lines are still open for you, one 332 8255 Just while while we're still talking about teachers, though, I do want to I just want to mention a couple of things. The other thing that we we got on, and we we talked about this a little bit earlier this week, is the notion of math curriculums. Remember, I had guest Ash Neraldin on. Ash is the owner of uh, an organization in Regina that it's called Mathnasium, North Regina. They basically provide, a, if for lack of a better term, a tutoring service. They, they help students of all ages that are struggling with math and math concepts. And math talked about that. I, I, when I said to Ash, like, is this a curriculum problem? He thinks absolutely it is. Ooh, that's a loaded one. Uh, it's a, it's a few things. Definitely the curriculum, um, comes into play. It's also what we were talking about earlier is that math just isn't being respected as a sequential subject. Uh, but to the curriculum spa- uh, piece, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, <laughs> there's an evolution on how math is be- being taught in the classroom. Um, and I can definitely see firsthand that it's not serving kids. Um, we're not teaching kids how to think anymore. We're just teaching kids how to do, pardon my French here, but just a bunch of crap. Uh, we're having them rely on temporary memory strategies that, you know, get them to the test on Friday. They meet expectations, whatever that even means. And then they forget all this stuff over the weekend. And on Monday, you can ask a child the same question that they got correct on Friday. Mm-hmm. And they'll look at you and they'll tell you, I can't remember. So maybe it is a curriculum problem. I, I mentioned that I talked to lots of people are reaching out to me that work in the education field are saying, look, I can't come on the air with you because I'm an active teacher. I'm a principal, but I have had a number of people weigh in off air about this new math that we're teaching, basically saying we're getting away from the basics, from the foundational, like the multiplication tables that you and I learned when we were in school is not part of the foundational math that is being instructed now. In fact, a couple of teachers that I talked to said they still teach multiplication tables, but if a director comes in or someone higher up in the division, they hide it and they go back, they go back to the curriculum. One teacher, I thought this was great. One teacher said to me, look, do you think NHL hockey players who are practicing different offensive and defensive formations and schemes and, and, you know, running all kinds of drills. Do you think they don't spend time still shooting the puck at the net? Right. Those, those foundational skills, whether it's hockey or math, they need repetition. They need focus. They need time and effort to be put into in order to, to succeed. So. The math curriculum is definitely in the sights for sure as we talk about education. Phone lines are, are lighting up. I want to get to a couple of callers. I'm going to start with Don in Canada Valley. Don, thanks so much for calling in. Are you weighing in on our education topic this morning? Yes, I am. What's your thoughts? Well, just a real quick background. Uh, I was on provincial bargaining for the government. I was executive director of school finance in the early 2000s. Uh, and there is a solution, uh, and I, I, I slightly disagree with your context saying it shouldn't be in the contract. Okay. Uh, there's, there's two ways to go. There's, there's one, if the government makes a commitment to put $50, 50 million a year uh, specifically aimed at, uh, at uh, classroom issues, uh, uh, put it in a memorandum of understanding. There are memorandums of understandings that have been included in the past in provincial agreements, 
the money goes to the to the school divisions uh, on some sort of an organized basis on per student or something like that. But it needs to be a long-term commitment. This uh, government is committed to 53 million, but it's only a one-year shot. It's just like the 30 million they put in a couple of years ago because they they knew they were in trouble. It needs to be a long-term commitment because there are long-term concerns in there. And I'm not at all underscoring the the. I don't know if I could be a teacher today. Yeah, really. Tough. So, Don, you bring up a you bring up a good point. So, th- this notion of a memorandum of understanding. I think back. I spent a lot of time on our union in the police world. Sure. We would bring up memorandums of understanding and, and put them in the collective agreement, and then often. As time goes on, they just become part of the collective agreement. They're not just, you know, kind of that, that appendix at the back. They actually become part of the collective agreement. So on the notion of putting it in that way, in the agreement, is it like, I think part of why I don't think it belongs in the agreement is two things. Number one, they're, they would be bargaining for people that wouldn't be part of their bargaining unit. And number two, I don't think they're going to come up with the solution. So are you thinking that without knowing what the solution is, they should just embed the commitment of money towards the issue? Is that what you're saying? Correct. The school divi- I agree the school divisions and the teachers need to, need to make those decisions in the end. Right, uh, but uh, uh, they're the right people. But they've, but the gov- this government has taken all the power away from school divisions. When yeah. you don't have any money at all, and you and you're not, they're not in- increasing it in any uh, legitimate numbers. Uh, like it's, they have not kept up with the costs. Uh, so school boards, they're they're scrambling. You yeah. know, they they just can't do. I mean, you know, and I'm really surprised. If I were, I'm surprised that the that the school boards and the teachers aren't together taking on well, that. Well, Don, that's a good point, Don. I, I've actually said that all along. In fact, I think we've reached out trying to get someone from the school boards to come on and talk. And I get it. It's challenging because they, they're sitting as part of the, the bargaining team with provincial officials opposite the teachers at the bargaining table. So there's likely a reluctance, but I feel like this issue should be the one that the that the school boards are screaming from the top of their lungs. So I want to take a break, but I'm going to come back. Dan is on the line from Saskatoon. He's got some thoughts on this, and phones are open for you as well. On this education issue, one 332 8255 We're coming back. We'll chat with Dan in Saskatoon next on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. It's an open hour for you to call in at one 332 8255 and uh, talk about whatever it is you would like to talk about. We got on a bit of a teacher and education discussion right now. We're talking about... The bargaining situation, which, of course, we know has not been going well. We've heard nothing since Monday from the STF. They did their second full-day strike on Monday of this week, and it's been silence ever since. Some people are speculating maybe that's because they're back talking again. Not formally at the bargaining table, but at least talking. I have my doubts. be nice if if they were. 1-877-332-8255. one 8255 I got Dan waiting patiently from Saskatoon. Thanks for calling in, Dan. What's your thought on this whole education conundrum that we've got in the province? Well, my my message is is for Scott Mo. Um, the the students are failing. They're being failed, which means our future is failing. And I've always been the kind of guy. If you have a destination you want to get to, a solution, a situation. 
you identify it and you work backwards to what steps have to be taken to get to that solution. Now, I don't know what those steps are that need to be taken, but Mo does, the government does, the department does. They have to figure out what it is that needs to be done to get there. And the same parallel with the health situation, the, the health care. The patients are being failed. Steps have to be taken to get to the solution. Pragmatic so, approach. You're, you're basically, I, I mean, I would guess, Dan, part of that is consulting with the experts, the frontline workers. Doesn't matter what field, whether you're talking education or healthcare, they probably have a pretty good view of what some of the challenges are and maybe could lead to some positive outcomes. Yeah, exactly. It's the people on the front lines who have to have their opinion heard. They're the ones who are there every day who know what's going on. Appreciate the call, Dan. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. So you know the, the the teacher and classroom complexity issue unrolls quickly. We we literally have a minute before we go to break, but I am going to quickly bounce to Rod. Thanks for calling in. What's what's your thought on classroom complexity, Rod? Good morning, Evan. Thanks for calling. Yeah, you bet, man. I've never called in before. It's uh, it's kind of funny. Like you, you talk about these MLAs that get voted in, okay? And and I know you're on the side of not negotiating or bargaining, but so you get voted in as an MLA, and then you get the uh, minister position. What happens? Do they get more money? They get more money if they become yeah, a minister. Absolutely, because yeah, because their job becomes more complex. They take on more work, right? Right. So so my wife's a teacher in Moose Jaw. And there's nights that she comes home and she's frustrated and doesn't want to go back to teaching because there's just so much to deal with in the classroom and there's nobody to govern it. Now, now these government workers, they, they know that if they take on more work within the government, they're going to get paid more. But now we're going to tell the teachers that we're going to take away their support, some of their funding, like you say, to the school board, and now we're not going to give them more. So how do you not negotiate that into this into the bargaining well it's you know appreciate you calling in rod the uh you know i think the the wage part of it there's there's really the two issues here that uh i think people get divided on one is a wage increase based on what they are doing now and number two a longer term more sustainable way in dealing with these classroom complexity issues we have to take a quick break on the notion of funding i have an idea that's been floated out to me i'm going to throw it out to you after the break some will say it is the most drastic, controversial thing that that anyone could throw out in education in terms of how we could pay for this. I want to get your thoughts when we come back. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Well, thanks so much for listening in this morning on the Friday edition of the show. And today we've opened up the phone lines. We're talking about whatever it is you're interested in chatting about. You want to shoot a text in or call in one 332 8255. We're kind of finishing up on the education thing, but I wanted to throw this in and I got a text here from Stephen Regina. He's got a couple of points in his message. One of the ones he says, money thrown into whether it's health or education is bro- the, we're throwing money into broken systems. And that's not the answer specifically on education. There clearly needs to be investment for support staff and equipment. But the money needs to be wisely spent on fundamental education, reading, and comprehension. So here's a, here's an interesting thought. And I, I threw this out before the break, and I said this might be, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of eyebrows raised on this notion. But I have talked with a lot of people who quietly off air will say to me, here's some suggestions. 
here's here's something we could do. And on the notion of funding, because a lot of people have raised, you know, where's the money coming from? We're in a crisis right now in the province. I had a principal, an educator, and someone that worked as an administrator all reach out to me individually. None of them knew each other. It wasn't a, a combined effort to lobby me to talk about this. They all said this. What if we squashed school divisions? Interesting. Basically, what they're talking about is the, the healthcare model that we have in the province, where we went from, you know, individual regions to one Saskatchewan health authority. Now, I know there are going to be people saying that is absolutely the wrong thing to do because the SHA has had some challenges and hiccups. But the people that have brought this up have said this. If you dig into the payroll in a school division, you have to go a long ways down the list before you find someone who interacts and connects with the child. Now, I've heard stories of, you know, it's easy to point fingers, but there's people calling in talking about, you know, opulent offices and money being spent on, you know, consultants. And 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 I'm not saying they're not important. In fact, my wife, who's a school teacher, was a consultant for a period of time. But I think what where this is going is if we are at a point of crisis, maybe we need to find a way to redirect some of the money we're spending now and focus it in different areas like classroom supports for teachers. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Do you agree, Steve and Regina? Thanks for sparking the conversation. By the way, he goes on to say, "Math and science need to be taught. Remove social justice from the education system one hundred percent. Let's teach respect and consequences without dividing people into groups of race, culture, and gender." Thanks for the text, Steve. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. The texts continue to come in. We've got lots of people. Ron in Lestock is uh, waiting on the line here. Ron, you've got some concerns about the new math we're teaching, right? Right, right. It's just listening to both sides in the media. These are uh, talking about uh, the math results that uh, our students are one of the poorest across the country. It seems like the black cats and white cats are deciding what's really good for the mice's children. <laughs> that is quite an analogy, Ron. I like it, though. I'm with you. I'm with you. And if one of these sides doesn't go, hey, you know what? We're getting rid of new math. Oh, prepare to feel the wrath of the taxpayers then, because this is ridiculous. The new math is garbage. Right. Just like the mathnasium guy said. Uh, so get back in touch with reality or prepare to take massive cuts on your wages, including the Minister of Education or the teachers, because you're giving us the poorest results. Why would we pay a lot? Homeless people can do attendance at school. one 8255 So the notion of the new math, remember I was talking about the fact that we had Ash Neraldin earlier in the week in, he uh, is the owner of Mathnasium North Regina. He talked about what happens if kids struggle, and not just with math, but if they struggle early 
in their learning life what that amounts to. It may not seem to be a big deal in those earlier you know, years, like grade one, grade two, but if you actually fast forward all the way into grade seven, you know, the topics that are being taught at, in that, in that, at that grade level and revolved primarily around algebra. Right. What's algebra? Mm-hmm. It's adding. It's subtracting. It's multiplying. It's dividing. It's fractions. It's exponents. These are all the things that we learn in grade one to six, mm-hmm. but with letters. Right. Instead of numbers. So, uh, in, in our case, you know, we serve, we've served roughly 105 schools from Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, even into North Dakota, South, or, uh, North Dakota and Montana. In those cases, what we're seeing across the board is that these kids who are struggling in grade six, grade seven, guess what? They're not struggling in math. They're struggling with numbers. Everything in math is numbers, mm-hmm. except now it's letters. So if they don't know how to do this stuff with numbers, what do you think is going to happen? And whose fault is that? About the importance of, of really focusing on those fundamentals and those basics. You know, this text I, I'm reading here from Jessica, I think sums up how a lot of parents of children in high school are feeling. Jessica says, I do not think classroom complexity should be a part of the collective agreement. A classroom school in Saskatoon, for example, has different issues than a classroom in Delisle. As well, please settle this soon. Grade 12 students have not had a very normal high school school experience. Grade 9, they had no sports and other activities because of COVID. Grade 10, there were still COVID concerns. Grade 11 was their first normal year. The threatened job action is now affecting their final year of high school. There's a lot of parents talking about that for sure. Jessica, thanks for giving us that perspective. All right. Well, some people are saying, look, I want to talk about something, but it's not teachers. So fair enough. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, let's reroute. Let's move. Let's move on. Rosie is, is on the line and this is open lines. So when you call one 332 8255 you can tell me what you would like to talk about. Rosie in Saskatoon, what is that? Uh, well, I was, you know, thinking about those stolen cars up, up in Ontario and Montreal and they land up all the way in Italy and finally they catch them there. Like, where is the security from Ontario and Quebec? that they are so lucky to get as far as Italy. <laughs> how, are, how are they getting chopped up and sent out of the country, is what you're yeah. saying? Like, how, where's the security? Like, is there none? Or do they not really care enough to, oh, so take the cars and we'll catch them somewhere else? It's such an interesting phenomenon. Ro- Rosie's talking about, you know, there's been a couple of stories lately about some of these chop shops that happen in eastern Canada. A car gets stolen, it literally gets stripped, and then parts are sold, distributed throughout the whole world, actually. And as, as Rosie mentioned, some ending up as far away as Italy. The interesting thing about stolen autos, Saskatchewan, sadly, was the had the dubious distinction of being the stolen auto province for many years. Remember back in like the 90s, we had the Oldsmobile gang? That was very prevalent in Regina. In fact, it was because of that, the Regina Police Service started up a stolen auto unit. Used to be just a property crimes unit. They actually started up a unit focused on stolen autos. And sadly, stolen cars continue to be a problem in the province of Saskatchewan. The difference is, and it's not a hard and fast rule, but the difference is in Saskatchewan, most cars are stolen, number one, for joyriding, literally stolen to get from point A to point B or bomb around the community or whatever. 
And number two, the recent trend we're seeing in policing, I would say, and in in the province of Saskatchewan is cars are being stolen to commit crimes. So if I'm going to do an armed robbery, it makes sense not to do it in my own car. So more and more, we're seeing serious crimes. And I would say this probably corresponded very closely in about 2016, 2017 with the rise in meth. We saw a rise in meth, which escalated crime and violence in our communities in the province. And along with that, we saw a number of stolen cars being used for a commission of an offense. And so, yeah, stolen cars still through the roof, although in Saskatchewan, they're not getting chopped up. So back to Rosie's point, what security measures are there in our country to prevent people from sending rims over to Italy to be sold? It's a good question, although not the problem that we're dealing with in in our province. How about this whole Emergencies Act thing? You agree? Did the federal government overreact when they pulled the chain on the Emergencies Act? We'll talk a bit about that next. You're listening to 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. It's an hour of open phone lines. Your opportunity to call in at 1-877-332-8255 and discuss whatever is on your mind. Doug and Arcola, thanks for calling in. What have you got today? What do you want to chat about? Uh, Evan, I'd... First, I'd like to thank you for uh, having Chris Barber on uh, when you did. You bet. I was actually going to just play a clip of that coming up here, and I'll still I'll still do that when we're done chatting. Uh, yeah. Uh, what I'd like to, uh, to for for many people uh, that uh, overturning the judge uh, overturning that invocation was that's some of the biggest news that's happened in this country in five years. Yeah. Uh, it's absolutely flying under the radar because uh, I watch, <laughs> try to keep informed, our mainstream medias. Uh, it made the news cycle from about 1 in the afternoon, just about till midnight that day. It was completely removed by the next day. Uh, I saw a little bit of a clip on Vashi Capellas on it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, then you get to see Rosemary Barton. She comes on with her four, with her three liberal panelists, and none of them are talking about the ruling on the Emergency Act as it pertains to the people and what it was all about. The only coverage it's getting is how the ruling might affect Justin Trudeau's political career, and it makes me puke. <laughs> That's an interesting slant for sure, Doug. I mean, that was a that was a bombshell court ruling. Let's let's call it what it was. A federal judge ruled that the Liberal government's use of the Emergencies Act to clear the Freedom Convoy protesters was unreasonable, unjustified, and violated the charter. And Doug mentioned we had we wanted to get a couple of different takes on this, and I wanted to chat with with Chris Barber on this. He's the Saskatchewan organizer and convoy leader that, of course, is still going through a criminal trial for the mischief charge that he's facing, the obstructing police and counseling others to commit an offense. He was on the show, though, this week, and we talked about how did he feel after hearing this ruling. Anybody that was that took part in the protest in Ottawa knows exactly how peaceful it was and how uh, how loving and, uh, and how we brought Canadians together. And, and so for us to sit here on the second anniversary, by the way, yesterday was the second anniversary of the trucks with British Columbia and, and we're headed to Ottawa two years yesterday, and, and today would be the day that I met Tamara for the first time in uh, in Medicine Hat when we picked her up. So, 
overjoyed. Um, not, you know, Christine Freeland, of course, she's going to come out and say what she said yesterday, but that, that still doesn't matter. This is still, this is still a justice, a federal court justice that ruled in our favor. Do you, do you view this as a, overall as a victory for the work that, that you and anyone involved in the truckers convoy back in 2022 put in? Does this, does this sense victory for you? Yes, very much so a victory. Well, there's so many people in this country feel like, like justice needs to be served when we all took part in the POEC, you know, a year ago in November. And we, we all seen how that went, uh, being part of the, the POEC for the first couple of weeks when the truckers were involved in the testimony. We, we felt like we were, we were on a path to truth. And then it was as soon as the, the government uh, witness started showing up and testifying and the things started to go a little different. You could see a change in justice for those and you, Personally, I thought it was a sham. I thought it was a, it was a setup just to make uh, Mr. Trudeau look better. Not surprised to hear Chris Barber with uh, with those thoughts on that ruling that the Emergencies Act use was not a proper use of it in this case. I mean, keep in mind that's the first time it's been used. The Emergencies Act was brought into law in 1988. It of course replaced the War Measures Act from 1914. So that was an old piece of legislation. They updated it in 1988. And, you know, the Emergencies Act, the the theory is it allows the government of Canada to take extraordinary temporary measures to respond to a public welfare emergency, public order emergency, international emergencies, war emergencies. Was this the time? Was this the one where they should push the big red button? Clearly not. I didn't think so at the time either. There's, you know, I've, I've said this before, that the truckers weren't going to be left there forever. You, you know that that was going to get broken up. But did you need the Emergencies Act to do it? That's the question. And I think lots of people weighing in saying, yeah, it's, it's too much. It's overreach. It wasn't needed. Meanwhile, we're hearing the Deputy Prime Minister, Krista Freeland, is saying we're going to appeal this. Seems like a waste of taxpayers' money to me. But that's a big ruling. And Doug is right. I've had more than, more than just Doug point out the fact that it didn't get a lot of attention on the national, on the national news. Um, it was in there. It was mentioned, but didn't seem to be quite as big a story as potentially what you and I have been talking about here. So we finished an hour of open phones and we're going into an hour of, well, basically the same thing. Bugs and hugs is an opportunity. We're going to talk about whatever you want. If it's bugging you, let's get it out. one 332 8255 If you're excited about something and you want to share it, get it out. Same phone number, one 332 8255 It's Bugs and Hugs. It's coming up next on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.